Welcome to Ride Every Stride, episode 70. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here again with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Good morning, Van. Good morning, Miss Laura. How are you today? Doing all right. How about you? Good. Well, I'm good. I just want to be sure and give everybody a kind of an idea that my voice is going to be a little bit strange today. We've been out, it's obviously been very dry down here in South Texas, and as a result, been loping a lot of circles and a lot of dust, and and uh, it seems like that dust has kind of gotten to my voice a bit today, but nonetheless, we're going to we're gonna progress and just uh, hope everybody will indulge us with a little bit of patience. And you can drink lots of water. Yeah, lots of water to try to loosen this thing up a bit. Okay, so what are we going to talk about on episode 70 of Ride Every Stride? Well, Laura, one, someone sent in a question not too long ago uh, regarding what I refer to as a controlled wreck. I, I guess I was doing some sort of presentation, and they sent a message back saying, you know, Mr. Van, what do you mean by controlled wreck? You, you referenced that controlled wreck a few times. And um, the, the reality is if they would have been kind of watching what I was doing, they could have seen the timing of, of what I was doing and kind of put the two pieces together as to what a controlled wreck is. But nonetheless, I thought that was a great opportunity for us to talk about it and explain it a little bit more. And to me, what I, when I'm referring to a controlled wreck, let's just kind of define what we refer as a wreck sometimes. A wreck is when something out of control happens with our horses and, and it, it doesn't seem like we know what the outcome is going to be. So a wreck is like a kind of a tragic type situation. So it almost kind of sounds like a contradiction when I say a controlled wreck. Mm. So what I mean by a controlled wreck is, is that I'm going to set the situation up so that the horse will have to kind of make a decision and the right decision based on his training and everything we've prepared him for will kind of make the outcome very, very predictable. The wrong decision will cause the horse possibly a little bit of anxiety and it'll cause their, it'll, because it'll be kind of a wrong answer. Although I sometimes refer to the fact that there are no wrong answers when it comes to the horses and our horsemanship. But if they happen to do the wrong thing, it might encourage their anxiety to go up a bit and might make them a bit anxious, a little bit upset. But that's a good thing, too, because then we can see how they deal with those types of situations. And that's the entire point of that process. You want to set the horse up to where they kind of have to face a kind of a little bit of a dilemma. And you kind of want to see how they work through that. So that's kind of what we refer to when we call or when we talk about a controlled wreck. It's kind of a maybe what we might call a pop quiz. Hmm. So this is it's a training tool. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, just a, it's just a training tool. And I'll give you an example. Like, for example, you've heard me refer to things in the past as every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. Mm -hmm. I say that to people all the time, and I talk about the both sides of that. We can use anticipation as a training tool, and at the same time, we can also uh, just and see if our horses are going to anticipate and then correct that anticipation. Of course, the, the benefit of that is teaching our horse to be patient and just waiting on us and not kind of finishing our sentences, so to speak. But a lot of times I will do a, an exercise. Let's say, for example, a, a really cool exercise I do a lot of times is I'll, I'm really big on doing really nice, perfect circles, at least as good a circle as I can do. So I'll pick a spot in the arena and I'll do a circle. And every time I come to that spot, I will stop 
and I'll turn around and I'll do the exact same circle the opposite direction until I come to that same spot again and I'll stop and I'll go back the other way. So let's say I'm doing a circle to the left. I come to point A and I'll stop. Now I'll do a circle to the right. I come to point A again and I'll stop and I'll turn around. I'll do a circle back to the right and so on and so forth. After a while, what do you think the horse is thinking about? He's thinking, oh, when I get to point A, I'm going to stop. So there's the anticipation exercise. Now, a controlled wreck is, is that we're going to ride past that spot or we're going to stop him before he gets to that spot. That's a little controlled wreck. You see, and what I mean by that is, is that we know the situation and we're, we're kind of predicting the situation and our actions are causing the situation, but the situation is outside of the norm that we've already set up. So that will tell us if our horse is anticipating or not. That's what I mean sometimes by a controlled wreck. We kind of set the horse up, not for failure, but we're just setting the horse up to see if he's truly listening to us or if he's just forming a habit. And oftentimes habits can be good, but oftentimes habits can be bad. So what the purpose of the control wreck is, is to see where your horse uh, maintains their honesty and to see how they will behave and how they respond when things don't go quite so predictably. So what are, what are some other kinds of controlled wrecks that you might do on purpose when you're training a horse? What sorts of things, I I get the idea that you're looking for, um, if they're anticipating or if they're listening to you and kind of following your cues rather than just thinking they know what you want them to do. What are, what are some other examples of when you might use this? Here's another example. We, the other day we were doing an evaluation on a new horse that had come in and this horse was referred to us as dead, broke, gentle, calm and quiet, almost, almost for anyone to ride. So as you've heard me say before, I never listen to a human when they're describing a horse. I just listen to the horse. Now I'll be polite when people tell me all about their horse. I'll be saying all the classic things. Yes, ma'am. No kidding. Well, I'll be, (laughs) and I'll, I'll, (laughs) and I'll, I'll appreciate the information, but the reality is I don't give what the human tells me a lot of credibility. I let the horse prove what they say and what they don't say. If the horse proves them to be correct consistently over time, then that person will gain credibility. And why is that? Because the horses never lie, and oftentimes humans have motives for saying certain things. So anyway, I had listened to the person. They told me how great this horse was. So during our evaluation process, I just started figuring out through trial and error and what the horse knew and what he didn't know. And Of course, just evaluating the horse's strengths and weaknesses, which I do with every client, I do with every horse. And during that process, I found the horse was extremely quiet about having the rope all around his body, all around his feet, around his belly, and even in his flank. So that was a really good situation. But then eventually, I got to the point where I was on the horse and riding him around. And of course, I had a really, really long, soft lead rope in my hand, and I'm doing all this riding. And I began to put the rope in different places from the saddle. So as I'm riding him, I put the rope around his neck, made sure he was okay with that. I took the rope and I was swinging it around his body, you know, just as if I was swinging a lariat rope. I started flopping the rope around his feet. It finally got to the point where I even tossed the rope underneath my body, underneath the horse's belly, and I worked the rope back to his flank area. And now as I'm riding the horse, I'm pulling up on the horse, I'm pulling up on that rope in the horse's flank. Most horses would go nuts. They would buck. They'd go silly because most horses try to want to protect that area of their flank. So some might say, oh, my God, that was stupid. That was idiotic. What if the horse would have bucked? Well, here comes the controlled wreck aspect of it. Prior to that, I also made sure I had absolute control of the horse's nose, hips, and shoulders. So he had passed all those tests. 
So as I'm pulling the rope up in the horse's flank with my right hand over my shoulder, kind of pulling up on it in the horse's flank, my left hand is soft on the, on the bridle rein, but also had the, the left rein very short, which means that in case anything would have gone wrong, if he would have been upset with the rope being up in his flank, I'd have pulled his nose around to the left, thus in disengaging his hindquarter, hopefully taking away his ability to buck or get too upset. So that to me was like a controlled wreck situation. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I was prepared in case something negative did happen. And of course, with every situation when working with a horse, I always set them up to be successful, hope for the best, but yet prepare for the worst. Mm. And of course, in this situation, what the horse did was just absolutely wonderful. He didn't get up too upset. He barely kind of increased his step a little bit, but nonetheless, as soon as he settled and his rhythm got normal again with his feet, I released the pressure off his off the flank, and he was good to go. So that's kind of another situation what a controlled wreck is. A controlled wreck is where we're setting the horse up to be successful, but at the same time, he's going to have to make a decision there. He's either going to have to respond or react. But we're prepared, and that's the controlled part. The preparation is when, if something does go wrong, are we prepared to save the horse or save ourselves? I guess you could say and help guide that situation to where even if it turned out negative in the beginning, it will end up being positive in the end. So that's kind of what I refer to as, as a controlled wreck. Just setting the situation up to where the horse has to make a decision to react or respond. And then in any case, we're always there to where we can help the horse out or we can reward him for doing something positive. And the reward for doing something positive is? Just releasing any pressure that you may have on them at the time. Yeah. So that, because I mean, that's what we always want to emphasize to people. There's a, I, I rarely say there's anything that's absolute, but here's something that I truly believe in horse training is very absolute. I want folks to remember this quote. I say it all the time, but where you release is what you teach. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of define that even more where you release the pressure. In other words, anytime we're doing something with our horse, we're either applying pressure or there's implied pressure. Anytime there's a human horse interaction, that's very rarely just totally neutral. Almost always, there's some sort of either applied pressure or implied pressure. Whenever we're getting the behavior that we want, we take away all of that pressure. We take away the applied pressure if we're applying it, or we do our best to take away the implied pressure um, if, if we're doing, you know, if the horse feels pressure from that. For example, I might be in the round pen with a horse, and just my presence alone might make the horse anxious. So the very moment that the horse gets less anxious, I might step out of the round pen. So that's what I mean by implied pressure. I'm not physically doing anything directed at the horse, but sometimes just our presence or just our actions alone may be perceived as the horse or to the horse as some sort of pressure. So the reward comes whenever we take any of that pressure away from the horse. The key for us to keep in mind, though, is that what is the behavior that we're looking for? What sort of action do we want the horse to do? Do we want the horse to calm down or act even more calm or even start acting more calm? And at that moment in time, we take that pressure away. And when we do, that's the behavior that the horse will begin to build on. And sometimes it takes a lot more consistency than others. But nonetheless, that is the thing I want folks to remember, that where you release is what you teach. So whenever we're doing a controlled wreck, you should know very specifically of what behavior you're looking for in the very moment that horse comes back to that positive behavior, you reward them by taking away any, any pressure that you may have applied. 
Well, I mean, it, it sounds like using this tool, this technique really requires preparation and intentionality on the writer's part, because you have to, as you just said, know exactly what it is you want the horse to do. Going back to your question, you know, your four questions, what do you want? But you also have to be prepared, as as you said earlier, for if things go wrong, if the horse does what you don't want it to do, from just a safety perspective, you've really got to be prepared to, to handle the situation. I guess that's the controlled part. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that predictability is always to our advantage. I mean, every time I'm doing anything with a horse, I'm always kind of predicting the outcome that I want. And quite frankly, I focus on that. I know what I want. I'm focusing on that. And quite frankly, I expect it. I expect the horse to do what I'm asking to do. Why? Because my job is to set the situation up to where it's almost impossible for the horse not to do what I want it to do. So there's the predictability aspect of it. And that, that to me, helps us get very well uh, prepared in our approach to something. We've given us time to – because in order to do that, we have to think about it a lot in advance. And preparation is obviously the key anytime we're doing anything with our horse and never to take that for granted. But at the same time, there's often times where the horse will misunderstand our communication. And we need to be thinking about what are all the possible negative outcomes. I don't give that much thought. I mean, I just, but I know that those things are out there. And what are the most, what are the ones that are most likely to occur? And just through time and experience, you'll begin to get a pretty good idea as to what those horses' options are. And as a result, if the horse gives you, say, option B, when you've asked for option A, you should already know what to do to help that horse out of that situation. How? By going back to your basic fundamental stuff that should be part of every program that you do, which is gaining control of your horse's nose, hips, and shoulders, gaining control of forward motion, or the forward motion, control of forward motion, and then lastly, stopping the forward motion. If all else fails, go back to those basics very quickly, and as a result, you're going to take that horse back home, if you will. And And people have heard me talk about that a lot before, is taking yourself back to where there's that comfort zone for the horse. That's the area they're going to seek out. That's what we want to. That's what we want to shoot for. With that said, too, the Laura, I want to. I want to kind of give everybody what I might do as another example of a controlled wreck. And I oftentimes do this in our clinics so that people can get an idea of what I mean by a controlled wreck. So during the course of a clinic, I might ride over to one of the one of the participants, and I might say, "Hey, Miss Laura, by the way, uh, the first two numbers, my phone number is nine zero three, and I'm just going to write off as if I never said that." And Probably that participant, let's say it might be you, you're going to go, what? Why did he tell me that? What difference does that make? So a little while later, I'm going to come over there to you again. So, hey, Laura, by the way, my, the first two numbers of my phone number is 903, and I'll ride away again. So after a while, you're going to be thinking, oh, gosh, this is just some sort of silly little game this crazy man's playing. So the fourth or fifth time, I'll ride up again, and I'll say, hey, Laura, by the way, the first two numbers of my phone number is 903. So after a while, you're going to know what the first two numbers of my phone number are because I've repeated it to you now three, five, seven times, I don't know, but several times. And now you know what it is. So I can even ask you, hey, Laura, by the way, what's the first number of my phone number? And you're politely going to shout back 903, idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so now I know and you know that you know the first two numbers of my phone number. I'm very confident that you know the first two numbers of my phone number. I've repeated it to you maybe up to seven times. You've repeated it back to me. So now I know that the, the first two numbers of my phone number are 903. You know that. We know that. So how can I change that? I'm not going to give you my whole phone number. But how can I change that scenario as if I'm going to give you a pop quiz? Maybe just the emotion of it. So a little while later, I might have you doing another exercise. And let's just say you kind of goof up a little bit on that exercise. 
and then suddenly I come uncorked. I start riding my horse toward you and your horse. And I'm asking you, what are you doing, Laura? What are you, what, I mean, how can you screw that up? That was such a simple exercise. What are you doing? And as I'm approaching, I'm getting louder, I'm getting more aggressive and I'm getting closer. And then I'll suddenly shut down and say, oh, by the way, what's the first number is my phone number. And you see, hopefully during that time of my approach and everything, all of a sudden me approaching you will probably either make you think, oh my God, what is this crazy man going to do? I mean, why is he coming at me so aggressively? Why is he coming at me? So forcefully, why is he invading my space? What is he doing? Why is this guy going nuts? In other words, whatever's going on in your brain, it's probably different than thinking about the first number as my phone number. But then I'll very quietly say, oh, by the way, what's the first number as my phone number? And you'll be surprised how many times I do that and people stutter all over themselves. And they don't remember what the first number as my phone number are until they take a moment to get themselves composed. That is a controlled wreck. Because you see, I know that you know the answer. We've gone over it several times. You've repeated it back to me several times. But now something about the question has changed. Something about the statement has changed. We're in a more pressured situation now. I'm asking it differently. I'm approaching you. In other words, there's something different. So now I can find out really quickly if you can just simply, under pressure, answer that very simple question that we both know you know the answer to. That is how we can test how good and how solid our training is. Mm -hmm. I know that people don't test themselves or test their horses enough when they say, oh, I've gone on a trail ride. And, you know, my horse has always been so good and he's never done anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, and for no reason at this trail ride, he just went nuts and there wasn't anything wrong with him out there. See, what that tells me is that something was out there somewhere that caused the situation to be different than all the preparation you had done before. The horse had probably not experienced enough controlled wrecks. Therefore, you never really knew how deep and how well the training had sunk in on the horse because he had never been put to that test. So oftentimes we can't just ride our horse always around in this perfect leisurely world for our safety and for the safety of our horses. It's not a bad idea to increase the anxiety every once in a while just to see the, how the horse is going to respond. To see if how, it can give the right answer, even under pressure. Under pressure, absolutely. And when we know that, that that horse is going to quieten down and shut down or do whatever it is that we're asking them to do under that high pressure type situation, now we know that our horse is really well trained. We know that he's really real responsive. We know that he's really listening to us and he's looking to us as the leader. So that's what I mean by controlled wreck. And I think it's so important that we just set those situations up from time to time. Now, with everything else that I do with my horses, even that is a very slow process. I'll offer a very simple controlled wreck and let the horse kind of figure that out. And then I'll keep doing it and keep doing it until eventually I'm pretty confident this horse can handle whatever the situation might be in almost any type of environment because we've built up that response to those various controlled wrecks. And as a result, anything around us can eventually become a controlled wreck. But we have to kind of set the horse up for those situations from time to time so that we can see and learn how they respond. And quite frankly, we need the practice of learning how to respond. Because if the horse gets nuts and then we go nuts, then suddenly the situation is totally out of control. Yeah. So the controlled wreck just helps us learn to judge and see how the horses are going to respond in those situations. And it also helps us keep our composure as well and staying focused on what you want the outcome to be, even under the wreck and under the controlled wreck situation. Can I ask a question that kind of goes off of that? How do you, you, you were talking earlier about 
um, that you focus on the outcome that you want. That's where you put most of your attention, but that we need to think ahead about what the possible undesirable outcomes are and be prepared to deal with those. How do you be aware and think of those potential bad outcomes, so to speak, without telegraphing that to the horse? Because if you're preparing yourself for them to buck or something, how do you prepare to handle that kind of situation without somehow unintentionally telegraphing that to the horse and causing anxiety even greater? Well, there's several different things, but I'm going to give a really simple one to start with, and then we'll go to something even more more drastic. Let's say, for example, I'm going to ride my horse. I'm riding from one side of the arena to the other, and I'm riding, say, at a trot, and I'm going perfectly perpendicular to the fence directly across from. So I'm trotting towards, say, the left side of the arena, and I'm going perfectly perpendicular to the fence. Now, if I'm perfectly perpendicular, couldn't the horse go left just as easy as he could go right? And couldn't he go right just as easy as he could go left? In other words, there's only two places for him to go unless he runs over the fence. And that's either left or right. So if I'm going perfectly perpendicular, then the odds of him going left or, or right are the same. Now, let's just say I'm going to also drop my bridle reins. I'm going to dislay my bridle reins over the saddle horn or over the horse's neck. And I'm going to ride bridleless, and all I'm, or not bridleless, but I'm going to ride without my reins. And I want the horse to go to the right. So I'm just going to take my my imaginary headlight we've talked about before in the center of my chest, and I'm going to point that headlight in the direction I want to go. So in other words, I'm going to turn my shoulders, and I'm going to look to the right. Therefore, the horse, if he's truly going to take the quote-unquote path of least resistance, which is a whole other episode we've done in the past, if he's going to take that path of least resistance, then now I've given him the suggestion that we're going to go to the right if he chooses to take that path of least resistance. So what are the possible outcomes here, left or right? I predict that he's going to go to the right because I'm setting him up to go to the right. Now, what if he goes left? That's my wrong answer, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But I've already anticipated the fact, oh, well, he could go left. So that's a mental thing. But my mind as well as my body is telling him to go to the right. You see, so I've got more things in my favor for the horse to take the correct answer than to take the negative. But I'm also smart enough to realize, well, he's only got two places to go, either left or right. So if he doesn't do the correct thing, then it must be the incorrect thing, which would go to the left. And all I have to do at that point in time, if the horse commits to that mistake, stop him and then correct him. So that's kind of what I might refer to as not letting that incorrect answer monopolize my thought and not let that thought also become part of my action because what's really wrong is that we are hoping the horse goes right. Oh, I sure hope he goes right, but we don't want him to go to the left. So therefore we're looking left because we don't want him to go left. (laughs) Now see, now you're setting the horse up to do the wrong thing because more of your energy is balanced toward the left, which is the wrong answer. Then your little bitty hope of him going to the right, which is the, which is the proposed correct answer. Does that kind of help answer that question a little bit? Yeah. All right. So now let's say we're in a different type situation, something less controlled. Let's say we're riding out in the pasture and we have to, again, think, what are all the things that could potentially go wrong? Okay. And all the things that us humans worry about. Oh, my God, I hope my horse doesn't run off. Uh, Oh, my God, I hope he doesn't spook and jump out from underneath me. Oh, my goodness, I hope he doesn't start bucking with me. In other words, all those things, they're horses, heaven's sake. So all of those things could go wrong. But I don't focus on those things. You see, all I focus on out there in the big world is I want the horse to do what I'm asking it to do. And I just maintain that. 
But what's the title of the podcast, Laura? It's Ride Every Stride, isn't it? So at any point in time, the horse shows any indication of committing to the mistake of doing anything outside of taking that next stride in the predicted area that I want to take it, I need to take action. If I don't take action or if I wait too late, then suddenly it won't, it'll no longer be a controlled wreck. It may develop into a full-blown wreck. And I'll give you an example of that one. I'm amazed sometimes when I watch people ride horses and I'll ask people, let's say again in a clinic scenario, okay, everybody, let's just get your horses and just walk them around the arena. And everybody's just walking around, but I might look up and some horses trotting. And I might ask, hey, Miss Laura, did you ask your horse to trot? Oh, no. Then why didn't you slow him down? Why don't you stop him? Why don't you do something different? Oh, that's okay. I can ride a trot pretty good. My thought is that horse is out of control because if you were loping and your horse did one gear higher, let's say he started bucking, wouldn't that freak you out? Yeah. So why do we get worried when the horse goes from loping to bucking, but we're not worried when the horse is going from a walk to a trot or a trot to a lope or a trot to a walk? Those things are outside of what you've asked for. They're outside of what you've predicted. They're outside of your course of predictability. As a result, you are now along for the ride and you're no longer predicting the ride. So what we need to do is, is we need to learn to gain back, gain that control back. And I'm not talking about being control freaks. I'm just saying that we need to be aware that things can escalate. So again, the title of the podcast is Ride Every Stride, meaning that we need to be fully aware of not just where the horse's feet are going, the speed in which they're going, but also the mental intent behind where we're going and what we're doing. And then we know that the horse and I are on the same page. If we're not on the same page, then the potentiality for a real wreck as opposed to a controlled wreck is is set up to take place. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid the, the real wrecks and try to keep everything very controlled, very relaxed, very predictable, because predictable is fun. In mm-hmm. some cases, you know, whenever we're riding a horse and we're in a potentially dangerous situation, I don't know about you, but I like predictability. That allows me to feel more secure. And with that security comes more confidence. And with more confidence, I can enjoy my ride much better. Well, that makes sense. And it, it kind of goes with the, the theme of, of things that you've talked about recently about, you know, who who's the leader here? Who's, who's making the decisions for this team? And it's it's certainly going to be safer in most cases if the human being is the one that's making the decisions. And so the horse, you, you talked a little bit earlier about habits, and I, it seems like the horse just needs to have the habit of doing what you ask for and not, you know, not the alternative. Exactly. And and because, and, I mean, we, we love horses for what they are, but the reality is, you know, they're, they're always going to be horses. They're always going to do those unpredictable things. Therefore, with us, our job is that once we kind of enter the room, so to speak, this horse needs to learn, to, okay, just turn off all that other stuff and just be this willing companion. You know, Van's going to do the thinking for me. Oh, my goodness, that's going to make my life so much easier. And, and that's to me is kind of what our purpose is whenever we're working with horses is we work on ourselves, become good leaders, not just for our part. It's great lessons for us, but it's also the benefit of the horse. The horse suddenly in our presence loses so much control. But I wonder how anxious that must make the horse if they lose control to who, to someone who also is out of control. In other words, if you're not the leader and I'm not the leader, oh my God, who's leading? <laughs> so <laughs> we want to prevent that from happening. And how we do that is just prove to the horse that we are very competent and very willing and very confident leaders. 
And how we do that is, of course, exercise those things we've talked about in the past. On past, on, Actually, it was just the last couple of previous episodes we were talking about that. But also, as the leader, you can also set the horse up, like we said earlier, to do kind of like little pop quizzes. Yeah. Just see how well their training is and to see how well your communication has been. And you just do that by, by kind of maybe asking the same question, but maybe asking it slightly differently and seeing how the horse processes that information. And that's what I kind of refer to when I think of a controlled wreck. Oh, well, I love it. That's uh, I hadn't ever really thought about it that way that, you know, as a, a, a pop quiz, I guess, but testing not only how well the horse has learned, but also how well you've, you've trained them, how, you, bet. you know, how good a job we're doing of being the horse's leader. So lots of questions come to mind, but I don't want to, you know, make this a two hour episode. So I'm guessing that folks listening may have questions as well. And I would encourage those who are listening, if you have questions about this topic of, of what a controlled wreck is and how you can use it, how you can be prepared to use it safely and well as a tool in training your horse, you can always ask your questions of Van. He loves answering questions. I can vouch for that. And so you can... Ask your questions in the Facebook page or email your questions to info at vanhargis.com and Van will certainly respond either directly to you or in an upcoming episode to answer those questions. We've talked about doing a, maybe a you know question and answer kind of episode in the near future. So send your questions in to info at vanhargis for that or at, at info at vanhargis.com that is. Yes, what else, Van? Anything new going on that you want folks to know about? Well, two things I want to I want to kind of mention a little bit. Marlar, you remember several years ago we were up in Iowa and we did a presentation in an outdoor arena that was all built out of wood. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. arena. The company that makes those is called Great Oaks Equine, and they just do a phenomenal job. And Great Oaks and I are kind of working out some some deals, and we just want to let let our listeners know, especially all of our listeners that are in the United States and Canada. These guys not only have some awesome products, but they deliver all over the United States. And I was amazed because I thought, you know, yeah, that sounds great. But you guys are way up there in the north part of the United States and we're way down here in South Texas. That's going to be horrific to get shipping down here. I was absolutely amazed how many people they shipped to in Texas already. And most importantly, how affordable it was. So, you know, I've always been a steel guy when it comes to the the horse equipment because horses can't chew it. They can't damage it. And they've given me some great insight on the type of wood that they use. And the type of wood they use is actually white oak. And I didn't know it until he was telling me about it. And then then I've done a little bit of research since. Number one, when white oak cures, it cures extremely hard. And number one, it makes it difficult for horses to chew on it. And number two, it has a kind of a bitter, non-pleasant taste to horses. So even if they try to chew on it, they're going to be unsuccessful. Number one, it's too hard for them to do much good. And number two, it tastes tastes nasty. So what I want to try to get our listeners to think about is if you are thinking about a really good look to a round pen, stalls, hay feeders or whatever, it's just an absolutely beautiful look, I think, to people's property. And they ought to give those guys a a listen to and kind of take a a peek at at their website. And it's just greatoakequine.com. Great, great company, great product, and, and you've seen it. It's just I was yeah. amazed at how how strong and how beautiful it is too. But I had to admit, I was very cynical when the guy first started talking to me. He's like, "Listen, I'm not a wood guy. I've been around wood too much with horses, and they 
they chew on it, they break it. There's just too much negative stuff with it. And he's proven that I was dead wrong in my cynicism. So it's, I'm very pleased to say that these guys do a wonderful job and he's kind of sold me back on that wood look. And I just think it's wonderful. Great. So that's greatoakequine.com. Um, I'm sure we'll, we can put some, the link in the show notes for this episode too, if people want to check them out. You bet. I would highly recommend them. I just love their product. And it's, like I said, just a beautiful look. And apart from that, we want to be sure to let everybody know that we do have some clinics coming up. In fact, we're going to be at the end of summer, we're going to be headed up to uh, Canada, the Ontario area, to do um, uh, some clinics and some mini clinics and some private lessons up in that region. If anybody's interested in the mini clinics and the private lessons, be sure to notify us at info at vanhargis.com and we can refer you how, how you can sign up for those. Uh, because we're going to be up there for just a little over a week. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the clinic itself is already booked and sold out. But we still have room for some mini clinics, which are little brief clinics that are about four to six hours long at the very most. And they're only one day. And we try to keep the numbers down to four to six people or less. And then, of course, we can also do private sessions uh, either at the facility that's hosting us or at your facility, as long as it's not too far away from Ontario. So if you're interested in that information, then please check us out at info at vanhargis.com. Yeah, that's a, a great way for those who'd like to get some, uh, not you know, one-on-one or just a few-on-one time with Van personally. You can learn a lot from listening to what Van has to say on the podcast, but I can attest to the fact that there is nothing better than, you know, having him in person working with you and your horse. You'll learn so much and make such great progress, and he's a really good teacher in person, so... Definitely check that out if you're in the Ontario area. And if you're not, but you'd still like to work with Van, you can still email info at vanhargis.com and find out what it would take to get him to come to your area. It's not as difficult as you might imagine. So anything else? Laura, I'd just like to say thank you to you for always being a wonderful co-host. And at the same time, I want to say thanks to all of our listeners. If it wasn't for you folks out there, we couldn't do what we do. So I really appreciate that. And I want you to remember that it's your ride, it's your trail, it's your journey. So ride every stride.